Hello, everybody. Welcome to Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. We're your hosts today, TJ Branson and Zach Vogel. Hey, hey, hey. Today, we got a special guest for you guys. You guys might know him from Reddit, r slash fantasy hockey, as u slash Tom's Tom's. A lot of his posts are some of the more in-depth, actually fun-to-read articles that come up on fantasy hockey. Puts the work in, does his research. And I reached out to him one day, and I asked him if, because he had just put a post up about, like, breakouts. I was like, hey, man. Any shot you want to be on the show and maybe talk about some of these guys, get a little, do a little more like free flowing conversation than just writing it down. So he's going to be joining us in a few minutes here. Yeah, we're just going to talk about some breakout players coming in this year. You know, I feel like you're taking auditions to replace me. That, that's what that's <laughs> I mean, what I feel like all this is. I feel like you're taking auditions to replace me, and I'm like interviewing my own replacement. If some of these guys like, you know, Scott Wheeler, Mitch Brown, Peter Harling, if they want to be my co-host, I'll do it. And I know you would do the same thing in a heartbeat. You too, would so. kick me to the curb like that, like that quick. Hopefully we could have a three way, you know. But uh, all right, let's. Uh, I only did that once before. And one more time than me. Let's, uh, I'm let's better at this two way thing. I'm still working on one sums. Got to get good at I one sums. I have mastered one sums. <laughs> I have mastered. Hey, Tom, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Hey, man, how are things? I'm good. How are you? Not so bad. Tom, thank you so much for being here with us, man. Um, I was letting the listeners know in the intro that you, some of your posts on r slash fantasy hockey perked me up. So, all right, I might have, you know, chose that sentence a little bit weirdly, but uh, they, they perked my interest enough for me to reach out and and hope that you would come on the in the show. You were kind enough to join us. Uh, let everybody know a little about yourself, what you're doing. As TJ said, I am. Um regularly post on our slash fantasy hockey it's unfortunate that um lately there's not too much hockey to talk about so you might know me from there um one of my most popular posts was my playoff primer so i did a little schedule breakdown for like the certain weeks in the playoff schedule first i did it just for mine and it got so much traction that i decided to like okay people are asking for say week 21 to week 23 or week 21 to week 24 so i just decided to pump those out because i make um i make tools as well fantasy hockey and little resources for people to use um, they break down like streaming i have a little personalized ranking system i use as well but that kept growing so i decided to just continue making content on our just fantasy hockey so that would uh, progress and it seems like got a positive reception i made some posts about potential breakout candidates or not potential ones i made posts about breakout candidates from the past season mm-hmm. so um that's what uh, piqued uh, tj's interest there and he reached out to me yeah, so it was the it was the Verona post and the playoff one. Definitely, like uh, I started creeping on your your profile a little bit, reading all your your posts that you were putting up, and every single one of them is like incredibly in depth. So with these these rankings and these tools that you're making, like how do you how are you making them? So um, I'm a civil engineer, so I've always like had a nice uh, interest in like math and sciences and stuff. So like statistics as well. So that's why I'm so focused on. Uh, fantasy hockey and especially other fantasy sports fantasy hockey primarily so i use google sheets it's not too elaborate i know some coding i wasn't too great at coding but i've always had an interest in using uh, spreadsheets and stuff like that google sheets gives us a lot of customization much like different the different um tools like out of and like functions that excel doesn't offer so i use that kept playing around with some numbers and i guess uh work towards it at the end because I combined my um, love of statistics 
a lot of hockey and my ability to do it, do it together, meld them together, and I love it. <laughs> well, right on, man. Um, so what we're going to do today, like you said, we're going to talk about the breakouts that already happened, um, your posts on like Jake Verana. We're going to kind of try and dissect and see what led to the breakout, if it's possible to do it again, and what the likelihood that it will happen again next year. So some of the guys that we were tossing back and forth, you and I, were like Tony D'Angelo, Anthony Duclair, a lot of these guys – uh, that that made their way up the ranks and really had some certain buzz. I think we want to lead it off with Tony D'Angelo. Uh, what are the biggest things that you kind of noticed that that played into his breakout here? He got a major boost in power play time this season. So I think it went up around a whole minute from uh, two minutes to just over three minutes this year. So that was around a 20% increase for whole team power play. So with that, as, um, with that he decided just he got way more points. He just power play one with the addition of Panarin as well. Um, Ryan Strom uh, being added to the formula as well. They just melded together really well, and they've just been consistent the whole year. His even strength time, it did go down a bit this year. His average time on ice was around the same. But uh, again, with Panarin in the mix, Nikki Zibanejad having a fantastic year, Strom doing fantastic, they... Like they're like top of the league, or at least Panarin's number one in the league in even strength points, and Zibanejad's up there in points per game, even strength points per game. So D'Angelo's been able to just carry off of that. He's just feeding, just, feeding just off feeding, of it. Yeah. Another thing I noticed was his shooting percentage was like insanely off base. It was, I think it was nine point or ten point three percent, something up there. Um, and and the shot. Zach and I are huge fans of just shot volume. Like, we'll take somebody that scores zero goals, but they shoot 300 times because just the law of averages says that it's gonna one happen. of these years... <laughs> it's going to happen. One of these years, they're going to get 30. So um, something that I'm worried about with Tony D is I need to see his shot volume go up in order to buoy that, that shooting percentage because you see it a lot of times that high-volume shooters can sustain high shooting percentage type like whole years, they, they can turn into three, four or five year stretches. But guys like uh, Tony D, who was shooting around two times a game, I'm a little bit worried there. So I just I don't know how much like what's your opinion there? Do you think this is something that can happen next year for the goals? He has 15 on the season. And for defensemen, that's kind of high with how many shots he takes. Exactly. What you're saying so a shooting percentage about 10 is uh, around double his career norm. So I'm not too sure how. That'll maintain, but I, I, I'm, I'm confident that his, at least his assist will continue to stay because the Rangers, they have Panarin, Zibanejad, um, Strom, hopefully Strom stays. He's an RFA after this year. Then you have uh, Kakos coming up, a fantastic pipeline. So I could see him being at least a fairly, like maybe a top 10 point scoring defenseman. He's not too valuable, like not, he's very valuable in like a league that counts hits and blocks, but like not too much. I can see him at least continuing this because uh, he was drafted fairly high when he uh, came in the league and he bounced around a couple of teams and it looks like he's found a nice home in uh, New York. Yeah, he definitely seems to be excelling there, especially on that on the power play. It looks like he's getting over half the time on the power play. Dauber Hockey says uh, 58% of the power play share goes to him. And that's three minutes of his average time on ice, which... I think we covered it a little bit earlier. It's under 20 minutes, so it's a little bit concerning there. Those are my only concerns: is the shooting percentage and just the amount of time that he's not seeing at even strength. And you, you had spoke to their power play with Panarin, with Strom, and and all this. They're 
you, we're going to talk about it a little later when we when we get to JT Miller, but just with power plays, just they're so volatile, and I just I can't put too much stock in power plays. You know, Edmonton right now being top of the league in power play, and and last year I think they were like 11th. They took a a nine percentage jump, and in both years they had Connor McDavid, they had Leon Drysaddle. So there's there's a certain I, I just don't feel super comfortable banging on a top power play defenseman with high shooting percentage, low shot volume on a power play that could be volatile. That's the only, that's my only worry, but like, I still want Tony D <laughs> like, I don't want that to go on set is uh, Tony is somebody that I definitely am targeting. I uh, missed out on him. We missed out on him in our dynasty draft right now, but uh, that's the way she goes. It happens. Uh, so you're going from a guy that you would want on your team to a guy that I'm not sure if I do, but I've definitely been wrong before. And that's in Anthony Duclair. Uh, another guy that you brought up a couple of minutes ago definitely had a breakout last year where he was, well, pretty much at career highs in almost everything. Average time on ice, goals, not assists, uh, not points, but at least as far as the pace goes, he was. Shots per 60, which TJ alluded to, we love. 8.3 before, went up two whole, two whole shots per 60. Like I said, with the average time on ice, another four minutes time on ice, an extra minute on the power play, it seems like a recipe a recipe for success when you look at it on the outside. I don't know. I'm just I'm not sold on Anthony Duclair. I don't know if it's because of Anthony Duclair or if it's because of the Ottawa Senators. So which Duke do you think we're going to get, Tom? Do you think it's going to be the first half of the year or the second half somewhere in the middle yeah, I think his consistency is just way too volatile to pin him next year. I'm not. I wouldn't be targeting him in drafts next year. But his out, his shot output, the increase he's had this year, has was very nice to see. Like a lot of people were like pegging at him, like he might be able to break out. This might be a good season. Like he he was a highly regarded prospect when he was drafted. Didn't have too much success wherever he landed in Ottawa. He was given an opportunity. Looks like this past year you had around a three and a half minute boost, a little bit better power play. But again, it is the Ottawa Senators. Not sure how that's going to work out. If they get two very high draft picks and they can both make an impact next year, Duclair may have a nice resurgence, I guess, after his awful second half. That was one of the worst I've seen. It What was it, like two points or two goals in 30 games or something like that? It was pretty bad. It was awful. Yeah, I'm... It was, I would hope he would perform closer to his, of the first 37 games, because at least he shows us that he can do that. But the, uh, the last 30 games, 29 games he played, it, kind of the same thing as how his career has been, like not too consistent, kind of just like a low bottom six player, doesn't play too much, doesn't impact that much. But we'll see next year, I, I hope. Yeah. I think if he can hang one feather in his cap it's the fact that he scored 23 goals in 66 games but he did all that with a 12 and a half shooting percentage which is really not bad it's it's not too high it's not too low it's something i'm actually very comfortable with seeing that shooting percentage because it's right around his career average so it leads me to believe that who who knows i mean if he continues to get the minutes that he's getting and and the opportunity that he is Maybe he can do it, but only time will tell. And I agree with you. I'm not personally going to be drafting him or, or looking to draft him. I mean, if, if he would fall to me 
real, real low, maybe I'll take a flyer on him, but I can think of so many other people that I would think to do so. So the next one is going to be Kevin Fiala, and holy fuck, where did this come from? When looking at like the surface stats, the time on ice, the power play time, it, it all kind of remained the same. The deployment was better, but how how much can you argue to the fact that like the top line of Minnesota is kind of like lateral to the second and third lines in Nashville? Uh, that kind of plays into it a little bit. The shooting percentage went up. Uh, the shots on goal per game went up. And we saw an IPP that just looks just it, it's dominant. It, I, I think what we would expect is somewhere around like 65 from somebody of his stature. But we, I think we what do we see, Tom? It was like 80 plus something like that. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned his IPP in the second half when he uh, decided to just <laughs> tear up the league. Yeah. It was up to 93 percent. Not many players get up to that. You have players like McDavid and Dreisaitl putting up numbers like that. Even I don't think those are sustainable, but they're just that good. They can sustain it. But uh, Fiala, I like I like Fiala. Like he's He was good in Nashville. He had a solid year in Nashville. Unfortunately, had that leg injury, which probably set him back at least a year for him recovering and stuff. He wasn't doing well in the first half that much. He wasn't doing well last year in Nashville when he was traded for Grandland. So I'm not sure where this came from. He's still playing with, like, Minnesota's first line isn't that much different from their second line. They have a pretty consistent, like, uh, their top three lines are fairly similar. So um, I'm not sure. I wish I I wanted to see more of him because, like, the 19-game stretch is kind of a small sample size. It was wild. He uh, he did shoot a lot more, which is very um, appealing there. Um, He got a nice bump in power play percentage. Another thing, they did change coaches, so that may have, may have helped his, uh, him break out a bit there. But uh, I would want to see more from him. Very polarizing player for next season, for sure. You like kind of sprinkle Kirill Kaprizov on top of it, and that's going to be exciting. The Wild are finally on the up and up. And that I can't trust the Wild. And I think that's a big problem with them is there, there hasn't been, this is something Zach and I have said for a long time, there hasn't been point-per-game player out of the wild yeah, as far back no as I can remember. point players here on, on the wild. It just doesn't happen. They play a, a more of a rounded team game where you're going to have a bunch of bunch of 60-pointers. You know what I mean? You'll have four people with 60 points, nobody with 80 points. All right, so All right. next up, a guy that I've liked for a long time. I, I've been preaching for a while, but honestly, I was even a little surprised at this, and that's Zach Hyman. He was always that guy that TJ and I would always say, oh, well, he would pass it, then somebody else would pass it, and then they pass it, and then, and then score a goal. Like, he, he was always third in line to get an assist. <laughs> but he was always playing with, like, these amazing line mates. Amazing line mates. Like, that's one thing I'll give to Zach Hyman is he must he must be special if they keep putting, with, putting him with all these good players. And finally, he started going to get it rolling this year. He he had the same amount of goals that he had last year, but he did that in 20 less games. Now, I am a little less, uh, afraid of the 19.6 shooting percentage. In fact, it scares the shit out of me, considering he doesn't really shoot very often. And that's obviously something that TJ and I love. I got to love me some Zach Hyman. Where do you think this came from this year? So I'm I am from Toronto and I watch a lot of the Toronto Leaf games. Unfortunately, I'm not a Leaf fan, but uh, yeah, yeah, we were uh, talking yesterday. You're a Bruins fan in Toronto, and that's got to be. I mean, you have a target on your back. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting times with Hyman. Yeah, he was ever since Keith took over. They um he started playing with uh, Marner and Matthews. So that like just those two guys alone can just carry you, just like someone like McDavid or Drysaddle can help bump up anyone else. They're just that good of players. So uh, Hyman, he's he works hard. When I watch him, he's always like on the grind, make sure like he finishes his checks, chase the puck yeah, down. Yeah, very, very disciplined game, very strong. Like, I like him a lot. Like, he's a very solid player, especially paired with two guys that aren't really known for their physical presence. If he can stay with Keefe, I could see him, like, that Keefe stays with the Leafs and uh, he, the line still runs. I can see him pushing probably 20 goals again next year, hopefully with a much better shooting percentage or a more reasonable shooting percentage. The 20% he has this year is... A little shocking, but he did score 21 goals in 51 games. So it would hopefully average out towards his career norm over a whole season. So maybe he could have eclipsed a, a whole season worth, hope, maybe 30 goals. He could have done that if his uh, shooting percentage stayed relatively high. But for a player that doesn't get too much power play, he still he gets a fair amount of even strength time with both Matthews and Marner sometimes. He mixes up a bit. Tavares there. Nylander as well. If he can continue getting top six minutes on the Leafs, I can see him being a fairly consistent 50-point player. He did finally start getting some power play time, though. At least he got some power play time, albeit on the second line that, well, doesn't really play very much in Toronto. It was still some power play time, so, so I like that. Zach Hyman is a guy that I would personally target. I don't see any world in which he doesn't kind of be in that top six and Tom to speak to what you're saying he's one of the hardest working players on that team two years ago he was playing with Tavares and Marner and I think the the switch from Tavares to Matthews as the center with Marner kind of maybe it played off of Zach Hyman a different kind of way where um, he was just able to to capitalize on, on more of these points and I think Zach Hyman is the perfect example of somebody who if they shoot more, they're going to be a dangerous, dangerous player, especially in fantasy hockey, where, you know, if if he bumps this up to 200 shots, if he had taken 200 shots last year, we're looking at 40 goals, right? And last year or this year? Yeah, like last, last year. year. If he 200 shots. Doubled goals. his shot volume, he would have oh, probably doubled. doubled. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh, this, yeah, oh, this, this year, yeah. This year at 100. Yeah, sorry. Last year at 144 shots. This year at 106. So, yeah, if he doubled his shot volume and somehow maintain that ridiculous shooting percentage. <laughs> yeah, I could see him encroaching 40 goals. I would think it would be closer to 30 than 40, but with with his line mates and how, how hard he works, 30 goals isn't out of the question. Yeah, on a line with Austin Matthews, I doubt he is kind of like the end game there. He's not the, the final destination for the puck. He's just uh, <laughs> a, like a point along the way, you know what I mean? So yeah. that's going to be his role for his career, as long as he stays in Toronto. Um, all right, this one I, I feel is going to be quick. It's a pretty easy, easily explained uh, phenomenon. It's it's Jean Gabriel Pajot. I mean, Jesus Christ, that the shooting percentage in the beginning of the year, uh, 20 games, it was like 25%. If he took four shots in a game, one of them was going to be a goal. And I think you know you just get lucky sometimes. And I think Jean Gabriel Pajot just kind of like jammed them all into two weeks. I think it's all kind of moot now because he's the third line center 
for a defensive-minded team. Uh, he's heralded as a defensive player. I just I don't see any relevance for him co- like going forward at all as a three C in in friggin Long Island. Like I, I would rather have Derek Broussard at this point. His shots per game were pretty similar from last year. His shooting percentage went up four times. Like his career average was close to around like eight percent, but now he's shooting <laughs> his whole season. He shot around seventeen. He also didn't get much power play time. He just decided to shoot every shot he took. Just decided to go in. So ex- <laughs> exactly with uh, what you're saying now in Long Island, uh, a more defensively minded team. Even though Ottawa isn't too uh, that offensively gifted, him playing third line there, Trotz is the coach. I can't really see him like repeating what he did this year. Yeah. Maybe maybe again a 40 point player, but he was on pace for over 30 goals this year. I I can't see that happening again. I feel like Ottawa's game plan, like every time coach would have like brought him in, he just said, fuck it, just shoot. We're not going to win. Just fuck it. Just shoot the puck. And uh, I think JGP just fed off that. And and I mean, I wasn't there. There's no mic'd up sessions that can confirm nor deny. So I'm not wrong, but I'm not right. Either. But uh, I feel like they were just running gun offense and didn't care two shits about defense. So uh, Ottawa could have been the... <laughs> Ottawa could have been the perfect place for a JGP. Okay, so next up, Tom, I want to talk a little bit about JT Miller. I feel like this one has kind of been in the works for a little while now. He's had some good years in the past, but this year kind of came together a little more. It was a little more evened out. I mean, he has had some time, like when, when we, he first got to Tampa Bay, he was lights out. He was almost a point-per-game player, but then he got moved to Vancouver, and I think he fit in pretty well there, in in my personal opinion. I, I think his, his minutes are, are solid. He's a, a 20-plus minute guy, which I am super huge on. He's getting time on that power play, and he has pretty damn good line mates. I think my biggest worry, just like sometimes like what I said with Anthony Duclair, it might be the team that he's on. And in my personal opinion, I'm still not sold on Vancouver. And I like, I like a lot of players from Vancouver, oddly enough, but I'm just not sold on a player from Vancouver that maybe isn't Elias Patterson or, well, let's be honest, my, my boy Quinner. Other than Elias Patterson, I don't know if I'm sold on a player like JT Miller. Are you? Uh, for Miller, um, like from all these players, I think his is probably the most uh, repeatable from next year. I like I like him a lot. Um, his shots were way up. Is uh he played a decent amount of power play on Tampa Bay, and he was very con- he was very good in Tampa Bay on the power play. He just didn't put up too many even strength points there. He was mostly limited for his even strength play on Vancouver. His time on ice skyrocketed. He started shooting a lot more. He got much more power play, yeah, power play at time. But uh, as you said, Vancouver, they're riding high this year. One of the best power plays in the league. I'm not too sure how consistent that will be, seeing that last year they weren't, weren't up there. But it might just be Vancouver's coming into, I'm coming into it as a team. Players like Pedersen, he's still fantastic. Besser's had a down year, but again, he's shown before that he can. He's a good goal scorer. Jake Vertanen, he's uh, turning a corner there. Quinn Hughes, uh, manning that power play, has really like lightened it up in uh, Vancouver. So 
I think Miller, especially seeing that he's he's a winger that takes faceoffs, and Pedersons is a center that doesn't take faceoffs, they're like a perfect mesh. <laughs> so they would be like I would think they would just continue to be together, just like that. If he plays with Pedersen and he shoots as much as he does, I can just see him just keep scoring and playing as well as he has. Yeah, it's a perfect fit. There's something worth saying with 25 power play points, like a third of his production, more than a third of his production came from that power play. And I've already stated like my distrust in, in power plays from year to year. Zach is going to disagree with me here, but just putting Quinn Hughes on a power play isn't going to double your potency, you know what I mean? Or or make you that much more better. Um I couldn't it's think of It's going to make you better, though. It's, it's not going to make you worse, and I'll digress there. But just I'll agree with you, Tom, that I think JT Miller, out of anybody here, maybe Jake Verana, I'll put him up there. But he has a bigger concern with me. He is the most repeatable, and I trust him the most maybe out of any of these guys. I think the issues with JT aren't as glaring as the ones that, that we're about to mention and have already mentioned. How do you, how do you like um, – how do you kind of come to these conclusions? Do you do you like just dive into players that were good this year versus uh, last year and and kind of like dig and and where's your like level of trust with these players and and how do you actually come to these conclusions? So yeah, for these posts that I made about the breakout candidates, I went mostly to look at last year's stats and like players that haven't really done like been too like great in fantasy for most of their career. So as the, as you mentioned, like Pajot wasn't really doing that well. Hyman, he was just a consistent like 40-point guy. Fiala, he was he just popped up. So players like that, they just decided to take like the next level this year. I just decided to look at them. And JT Miller, I, I understand like that massive increase in points. And like last year, he had 72 points in 69 games. And last year, he had 47 in more games. So something like this, JT, but the thing with JT Miller, he started shooting a lot more and his line mates changed. Like before he was playing 15 minutes a game. Now he's up to plus 20. Yeah. So just just with that, I can see it being a little bit more sustainable than other players just from the time on ice he gets, the players he's playing with and the amount of shots he's taking. Even if he gets rid of all his power play points from this year, he's tied with last year's point total. And last year, he scored 20 power play points. So he's still performing fairly well at even strength, 47. Um, the league leader, Panarin, has 59, I believe. So he's still doing really well. Like, for a five-on-five player, JT Miller and Elias Pettersson as a duo, phenomenal. One of the, yeah. one of the best five-on-five duos in the league. But they both play great defensively, 200-foot game. So with Miller, I, I can really see him... Staying top line Vancouver, I would I would definitely see that power play his power play points drop off next year. The way they're shooting right now, they don't have too many uh, attempts, but they're scoring a lot of goals. So that might be actually they might lead the league in attempts. Uh, Colorado, the only team Colorado. that has more opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. So Vancouver is very high in attempts. So that also leads into um, how many power points he gets. Like they have so many attempts, like he's just destined to get that many more points than like any other player again some teams get penalized more than others which is which is fair like the Leafs they're near the bottom the Islanders have the least by a long shot just how the teams play and how they draw penalties Vancouver being second there I don't see them fully maintaining that 
Yeah, it's kind of a but, hard stat to like yeah. trend. Yeah, it's a very because yeah, it just depends on I guess the reps game to game. It's and the players drawing the calls as well. But uh, Vancouver, if 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 they brought it down to around like a league average, I could still see him putting up in the games he's played are probably around eighteen to twenty power play points. So it wouldn't lower it too much. But yeah, the power play in Vancouver, although booming, there's a little concern there. And I've noticed that the the top power play unit in Vancouver, as far as like shares go, they're it might be second or third to Colorado and uh, Washington, who you know pretty much just has one power play unit. Um, when I was on National Stat Trick looking up like different uh, stats, power play time on ice, I think all of the top power play guys in Vancouver were like in the top 15 or 20. Um, I can't pinpoint it, but they were they were all pretty high, looking at like three and a half plus minutes per game on the power play which is insane you know tj yeah. coming up here it's it seems like uh we have a trend going you know with living on the power play yeah i guess yeah i'm starting to see that now how about it and that that is uh that's going to be something big with neil pionk is i i tried not to buy too many shares we we had a um a, a dynasty draft just going on now and something i can see from winnipeg is maybe going out in the offseason and buying and i hate to like slight neil pionk like this because i didn't trust him going into the season (laughs) as a top power play guy and i kind of still don't even though he succeeded at it you know but winnipeg could go out and buy they could replace dustin bufflin you know what i mean there there's petrangelo out there there's krug who's to say that they don't go out and get somebody like that and then all of a sudden neil pionk is not even in anybody's like top 20 or something like that. And that's my only worry with Neil Pionk. So uh, obviously that's neither here nor there because it hasn't happened yet. But uh, what, what's kind of your read on Neil Pionk here, Tom? So like just you were, like you were saying, Pionk's power play has really driven him this year as well at the beginning of the season. I really didn't think he would amount to much. They just signed Josh Morrissey to a fairly long extension, fairly big, like, expensive extension as well so i thought like they were leaning on him and the news of bufflin came out so i just wasn't too sure like how pionk would line into there i would see him i could see him getting playing top line minutes because winnipeg's defense was just that bad couldn't really see him performing this well just because of he hasn't really done it before morrissey was blocking his way winnipeg has a fairly solid power play i just didn't think he would do too much but I I didn't want to pick him up, but I just I did, and he was like my favorite player of the year. He was yeah. he was a he was great. For like you were saying, if he doesn't get power play next year, it's pretty much done. As you were mentioning, if they go out and get another defenseman, say Petrangelo or Krug, probably the only two I would think that would upsert Pionk on the power play ladder there. Or I guess they can go for a trade. Winnipeg has a very systematic power play uh, from toronto they show their games fairly often on the weekends i would just watch they love their defensemen when it comes to the power play so if you look at their ipp um, josh morrissey is a 93 percent on the power play and neil pionk 86 percent those are fairly high but if you watch them they the their goal is to give it to the defenseman and the defenseman gives it to wheeler and wheeler gives it to um Line, Shifley, or Connor, and they shoot the puck. It's just what happens every time. If if Wheeler can't find a pass, they'll just give it back to Pionk. They'll just, just reset. They just reset. 
I think middle of the league this year in power play with his 25 power play points, it's it's okay. It's not like they're riding up a really high power play percentage. It's just Winnipeg and Paul Maurice, they love using the defenseman to, to drive the power play there. So if Pionk doesn't get um, power play one next season, I can definitely see who's ever there like being fantastic there, like just piling up the points. Yeah, it was over half of his point production came from the power play, and that kind of that's a lot of what drove his value, I think, too. So, um, yeah, he's kind of ride or die by that top power play. And Zach, somebody who is ride or die by his line mates, why don't you go ahead and take this guy? Well, he's not ride or die on the power play, at least. I mean, he did power play points seventeen out of fifty six. Not not bad. That's like a normal amount of what I want to see, like a normal average. Brian Rust. I love Brian. Tom. I love Brian Rust. I My love brother. Brian Rust. I've been I've been pumping his tires for for way too long, and it got to the point where TJ was tired about talking about him, uh, and I kept always trying to bring him up, and then finally this year happened, and I felt like the vindication, and I felt the salt coming from from TJ's direction, I still think Brian Russ can still do it. He's not going to be out of that top six. It ain't going to happen. After the year that he put together, even though it was with Evgeny Malkin, even though it was because he finally got the opportunity, good. He deserved the opportunity. He had a ton more minutes. His shots per 60 went way up. So therefore his points went way up. Everything went way up. He had a great year. Now, the shooting percentage is a little high. It's up around 18%, which clearly is is, is pretty high, especially for him. He's usually like a 12 and a halfer. But still, the dude w- would have scored 30 goals. Would have. Not had a chance to score 30 goals. He would have scored 30 goals had we been able to finish out the season. I can guarantee it. Now, that's a lot easier for me to guarantee, considering they are not going to finish out the uh, the season, but he would have had 30, uh, 30 goals. I want to see what happens next year when the Penguins are healthy. I know why this year happened. This year happened because of opportunity solely, because he got that top six time, because he got those top six line mates. What do you expect for next year? So, so like you were saying, how you've always loved Brian Rust. My brother picked up Brian Rust in one of my leagues, and he wouldn't stop <laughs> shutting up about him. He was his favorite player this year. So he got on my nerves. <laughs> so um, with Rust, um, yeah, this year he was given plenty of opportunities. Crosby went down. Gunsel went down. Opening up a lot. Hornfisk was out for a little bit, too, opening up some slots on the top six and the power play. But when paired with Malkin, he was dynamite. I have the number here, 45 points in 37 games when he came back. Like, fantastic. I don't see him being taken off Malkin's line anytime soon. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And he only had had 56 points, 17 power play points. So even without the power play, he was still performing fairly well. For even strength, 40, what is it, 39 goals in 55 games, even strength. And you're with Malkin, like, that, that that makes sense. Like Brian Rust, he works hard too. He's a hardworking player. Hasn't really been like a high touted prospect or anything, but he works hard. Next year, 
the only issue I really have is his power play deployment because they traded for Zucker, Hornquist. Even though he's not really didn't score too much, they the coach loves him. He's always on that power play. He's been there like since he's got to Pittsburgh. Looking at the power play one next year might be a little dicey there, but yeah, if he's if he's able to um, if he's able to play how he is this year, I could see him sticking. But near the end of the season, I think the last week or so, they were fumbling around Rust, Hornquist, and uh, Zucker, just like cycling them through the power plays. Very, I'm not too sure about that. Um, how uh, Sullivan wants to handle that. He even had Schultz up there too, so I think there is a certain like open-mindedness towards toying with that power play. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Latang and Sh- I thought Latang would never be taken off that power play one just exactly. because of how of how dominant he's been his whole career, but. I guess they change things up if they want. And uh, Rust, for next year, if he plays with Malkin, sold. I want. I would want to target him if he's not too expensive. And if he gets that power play one, that's just uh, icing on the cake. Zach, we got three in a row. Your guys, man. Ryan Strom is the next one. Uh, for him, I almost feel like it's uh, Artemi Panarin or bust here. Uh, Dave Quinn's super antsy with his line combos. They rarely... They start the game one way, but then they end the game a completely different way. And then the next game, it's it's mixed up again. But uh, a lot of the time you saw Ryan Strom or Timmy Panarin. I'm just wondering how confident you are about Ryan Strom going into next year. So like you, you were saying, our, Timmy Panarin or bust, he's just, Panarin just makes him that much better. So Strom, he hasn't really he had an okay season to start his career in, a, in a, the, on the island. He bounced around Edmonton and then he got to the Rangers. I think if he can stick with Panarin, which I think he will, um, he is a pending RFA this season. But seeing how well he's played, like I don't know how they wouldn't wouldn't want to retain him at least. He got a, a great uptick in shots. His goals was actually less than last year with that increase in shots. So that that's actually pretty actually very interesting to see there. Seems like it's fairly sustainable if he can shoot that much. Still put up a decent, like, like still 20, 18 goals in the 70 games he did it in. His assists went way up. That could mm-hmm. definitely be part of playing with Panarin. Yeah. And sometimes with the Zibanejad as well in the power play. The Rangers as well, same thing with D'Angelo, up-and-coming team. So if Strom can stay there centering Panarin, it just... Because, uh, yeah, as you said before, Quinn, they were always together. Like, they were probably the most inseparable players in the league. And on the team, sorry. So they would always play together, and Tanarin's there for the next six years. Strom, see how long he'll last there. But if he's back on the Rangers next year, very confident he could at least put up similar numbers. Okay, so I will agree with you, TJ, that it, it we have had a couple of my guys in a row. But let's be honest, this, most of this episode has been my guys. For some reason, uh, all my guys broke out this year, and I don't really know what I'm going to do for next year. But I got another one for you. That's Jakob Verana. Everybody knows about this kid now. Finally, I, I've been I've been trying to get people to jump on this train and get with Jakob Verana. And this year he is solidified into that top six. He is not going anywhere. He started getting power play one time later in the season. His shots went up. He would have been another guy that I think very likely would have scored 30 goals, but he also did this with a way better, a way more comfortable shooting percentage, I think I would say, at a 13.4, which I think is incredibly sustainable. 
One thing that I was worried about is the time on ice. Now, he's getting just under 15 minutes, which isn't super horrible, but a lot of the guys that we have talked about and seen today, their time on ice has had an uptick up to around, what would you say, 19 minutes average time on ice between between the breakouts that we've talked about today. And Verona isn't one of those players. I think it would be scary to see him out there for an extra four minutes. I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> I already thought that he was the best scorer. Well, uh, how do I, I – obviously – Yeah, it's hard to say Ovechkin. with Ovechkin on the team, right? Obviously, Ovechkin is the best scorer. Um, how do I want to put it? He is the best offensive motivator on that team. And I will stick with that comment. He is the best offensive motivator on that team, which means he does a little bit of everything, and he does it equally as good. He is a passer. He's a goal scorer. He does it all. But he also does it all with not really that much time on ice. Do you see what I see? And if he gets some more time on ice, it could be something amazing. Yeah, exactly. If he gets more time, I could definitely see him. Like He gets up to 18 minutes definitely see him pumping up like a score at least scoring 30 goals like this year he probably would have reached that number as you're saying he's a very fast player very fast he breaks away from defenseman no problem finds an open man you said he's a passer so he creates a lot of plays for washington and if he's able to create plays for more time in the game i would definitely think it would keep increasing and if he gets his power play percentage up this year he was Kind of stuck on the second line, but if he moves up to the first power play, especially with Ovechkin there and Carlson Backstrom, is he could just keep on going up. Like this year is just just a taste of what's to come. Yeah, you did see a little bit of top power play time later in the season, and that's one of the things that I'm I've got my fingers crossed for next year is that that's one of the things that carries over for the past three years. Zach and I have always said about Verona that the biggest hurdle for him, number one, Ovechkin at even strength. And two, that top power play, it doesn't—it didn't seem like there was any room for him. And then they go and put Kuznetsov on on the second power play, and we're we're blown away. And it seemed to have worked. And I hope they go for it again because that's only going to bode well for him going into next year. But this—it was just the shots that that took a huge jump. Vrana finally kind of got his rhythm going, and it, and it seemed to really work out for him. And TJ, he's 24. Amen. I don't know what it is. A lot of these fourth-year breakouts. The magic number. Yeah. Uh, all right. Ollie, Ollie BJ, as we like to call him. Oliver Bjorkstrand, huge jump in shots, power play time on ice, average time on ice. And he's just another one of these players that fits into this fourth-year breakout that uh, Dauber, Dale Dobbs over at Dauber Hockey likes to kind of um, – that that's his biggest thing is it, in your fourth year, you are going to break out. And there, there's a certain type of player that fits this mold. It's just something about that fourth year. And Oliver Bjorkstrand was exactly that. Uh, what did you see from Oliver Bjorkstrand's year that kind of played into his breakout this year? Yeah, like what you were mentioning, he shot a lot this year. Was it like 60 70% increase from last year? He was shooting a ton. With uh, Columbus had a boatload of injuries, including him, near the end of the year there. So him, he was able to slot in top line top power play get a lot of time on ice there and just keep shooting he's like kind of like in the cam atkinson role but atkinson really dropped off this year atkinson was around like three 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 and a half shots per game so bjorkin just took that over when atkinson went down 
I can definitely see this going into next year. Um, hopefully Columbus stays healthy. Jones there. They have a very good team, I think. Very like underrated team, like very yeah. well balanced line team there. Exactly. So uh, with unfortunate injury, uh, cut his season short. But uh, yeah, I really wanted to see more out of him before I was fully confident. But what I saw from him in those like that twenty game stretch he was playing, fantastic. I got a one quick question for you about Bjorkstrand. PLD, Pierre-Luc Dubois also had what I would consider a great season. Is it Bjorkstrand that stirs the cup, or is it PLD? I think both of them. I th- is Pierre-Luc Dubois in his fourth year? I'm not too sure. I'm pretty sure he's coming off his ELC, so it might be year three. Yeah, he was drafted, I think, just behind Dreisaitl, Um just off the top of my head. I can't remember. Yeah, he was drafted behind Dreisaitl in 2016. So, yeah, so his third year. So it looks like Dubois is also just continuing his development. So next year, fourth year, maybe he'll just continue the breakout. Be like a 30-goal guy, 70 points, playing with Bjorkstrand. If they can both keep developing together, it could be just a nice recipe there. That sounds interesting. All right, I want to take a swing at some of these guys that you have pegged down for big years coming up this next year. And, and whenever the season does start, Hopefully it's a full season. Hopefully it starts as as advertised in in October. But how things have been going, it's it's kind of hard to say so. But um, let's start off with Rob Thomas, who I, I couldn't agree more. I kind of thought this year was going to be his year. Um, he was producing like a second line player, but was getting fourth line minutes. So in a bigger role, he could be somebody that could be extremely um, extremely effective. Uh, what do you like about him? I like that he's a two-way player he's solid offensive upside as well there um st louis has limited his minutes a lot he really i thought that he would be playing at least top six this year after tarasenko went down but they've got sammy blaze there and alex steen but next year i can definitely see thomas breaking into that top six he's got the pedigree to do so he's highly he was highly regarded when he was drafted as well Either if he plays beside Shen or O'Reilly's wing and he gets he's paired with either Tarasenko or Jaden Schwartz, I could definitely see big things next year. Um, the only issue I can see there is their power play. It seems pretty, pretty locked in when they got Shen, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, and Schwartz there. So unless there's um, an injury or a trade, I can't really see him performing too well on the power play. But just him, if he could get a nice increase in minutes, because as you were saying, Doing fairly well, he's at 42 points in 65 games with very low minutes. He was one. Of, he, I would usually pick him up if I needed a streaming spot or something because I just like him that much, and uh, he has the upside. So if he gets the right opportunity next year, which I think very good chance he could, uh, he could break out and maybe become a 60 point guy. Yeah, I was gonna say like a 55 plus kind of thing. I thought the odd part about it was he was such a big part of that playoff run. And such a big part of that Stanley Cup. And then he just gets thrown back onto the bottom six. Like, I, I don't know. Am, am I the only one? Like, after all that happened in the playoffs and them winning the, and, and them winning the Cup, I was like, oh, Rob Thomas is, is here. You know what I mean? He came out in the playoffs and he just killed it. And then next year, they hid him. And it seemed like they put him in a position to not do well. They didn't put him in a position to succeed. I don't know. It, it kind of sucked because both TJ and I also liked Rob Thomas. Um, sticking in St. Louis, Vince Dunn, great last name, number one. <laughs> but 
but also he, he's a pretty solid defenseman. Uh, he he's not going to really blow you away. But what do you see with Vince Dunn, especially with uh, Petrangelo maybe being on the way out? Yeah, with Petrangelo being on the way out, um, St. Louis probably won't be able to retain him. I think they only have around $8 million in cap space, 8 to $9 million. Petrangelo, I could see easily fetching $10 million on free market there. But uh, if Dunn can maintain his uh, production and get that power play one, he definitely be a great breakout candidate for next year. He's an offensive defenseman. He's a fairly decent shot, too. And he's firmly locked in a power play, too. I don't see uh, Parecchio um, or Falk. Falk has had a dreadful year yeah. taking over the power play one from him because Dunn has just always been pretty much second fiddle to Petrangelo in the power play. Whenever Petrangelo's hurt or anything, Dunn would take over. I, I like Dunn, too. He's a, she shoots a fair amount. Not how much more else. I guess the opportunity, especially with how well St. Louis's power play is, you should see nice things next year. Yeah, I think he could easily tilt 50 if he gets that top power play. Um, okay, Zach, you and I, one of our favorite players going back a couple years now, Kyler Yamamoto. What a year. Okay, so almost point per game in the 20. 20- 20 and change games that he had this year. I don't know the exact number, but it looks like he's firmly in the top six on a team that doesn't exactly have an abundance of wings. I think Kyler Yamamoto is kind of a big fish in a small pond, which is ironic because he's not exactly the biggest fish out there. And I think that plays into the problem that I don't see him on the top power play. And this, this is something that uh, we did see for a little bit because McDavid was down and they had a spot for him, but that, the only vacancy that I could see is like James Neal and Alex Chason. And Tom, you and I were talking about it last night. Yamamoto doesn't have the build to be a net front presence. So it would be more like he has to beat out somebody like Ryan Nugent Hopkins or uh, very less likely Drysaddle or McDavid. So it kind of seems like there is a ceiling on that second power play for Kyler Yamamoto, but he was doing damage at even strength. What, what kind of things are you hoping for next year? I, I think he'd probably stay the same if he can stay stick with Drysaddle. Edmonton plays much better with him. Like the, his Corsi percentage compared to McDavid's line, night and day with uh, Yamamoto and Drysaddle. And as you said, Edmonton's winger situation is kind of not that great. They got uh, Anastasio on the first line. You have James Neal jumping around everywhere. Tyler Ennis. So not too confident with Edmonton's wingers, but Yamamoto. And Drysdale, they seem like they were working really well together. So I can definitely see that continuing next year. And with how consistent Drysdale is and how much, how like how effective he is at even strength as well, I don't think uh, having the power play it will definitely hinder his uh, point total. But I could definitely see him maintaining close to point per game with limited power play time. He's got a lethal shot. He's what at like 24 percent shooting percentage. That's got a it's going to make you a little nervous, right? Oh, yeah. That 22% is very high. He did not have that many games this year to balance it out. Maybe closer to like 16 to 18%, especially yeah. playing with Dreisaitl. They'll find an open man always. Yeah. Um, if Edmonton can, they don't. I don't think they have too much money to spend. They like wasting their money. <laughs> but uh, if Well, they I mean, find... if, if you were the GM, how much would you pay Kyler Mc... Connor McDavid? Oh well, McDavid, I would have paid him the max. He he yeah, wanted to be a discount there, but uh, 
with uh, what Shirelli did with uh, pretty much everything else. Koskinen, Except Dreisaitl's contract. But yeah, Lucic and Koskinen and Chris Russell. <laughs> there are, those, those contracts are a little uh, little yeah. interesting, to say the least. Koskinen. The co- no, it's it's the Koskinen contract. It is, it, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. What do you give him, four a year, I think it is? Yeah, you like after like 15 games, he decided to yeah, sign. Yeah, it's crazy. Contract. It's craziness. Okay, so Tom, ne- next up, uh, you have Maxime Trontois. I wish he would shoot more. Obviously, he does not shoot enough. He hardly shoots one shot a game, which is killing me. They have some pretty good things maybe coming up in the pipeline. They might be making a turn, kind of. You know what I mean? As a team, and I think as an organization, they may start getting better here really soon. And I agree with you that Maxime Contois might be able to, you know, ride on them coattails. Yeah, with Anaheim, they don't really have much. Up in the up in the on the in the NHL right now, got Getzlav. Getzlav, if you could play with Getzlav, pretty solid there. But then you got Sonny Milano and Danton Heinen, so I could easily see him at least cracking the top. Don't be talking any trash on Sonny Milano though. Just let's let's just. He did have that nice goal. Uh, Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one nice goal. But yeah, if he (laughs) he in um I like him more in a league that counts hits. He hits a lot. Yeah, Um, he's a big guy. He doesn't shoot too much, which is very con- uh, concerning. But he also doesn't play too much. I'm not too sure how Anaheim runs their lines there, but it looks like he just—I think he's—he was sent down to the minors before the season ended. If you can play top six, and then you have like someone like Sam Steele, like he—he he was a highly touted prospect. If he can keep developing, Comtois fairly—he was drafted in the second round, Comtois. So if they can just continue continue developing, and I guess mesh well together, especially with Ryan Getzlaff centering them. Uh, I could definitely see a nice resurgence for Comtois next year. If he shoots a little bit more. I'm not too sure about next year being like a definitive breakout, but I can definitely see him taking like the next step if he if Anaheim gives him the opportunity. He'll start to break into that Rob Thomas territory where he's like a streamer for you, maybe on a good weekend. Exactly, yeah. So next up, you got Noah Dobson, and I couldn't—I mean, I couldn't agree more. But yeah, I'm the, in on the, this one. The problem I have with this is, uh, if there is any consistency when it comes to power plays, it's the New York Islanders. They don't get much, and they're not very good at it. And uh, whether you have Nick Letty, Ryan Pulak, Devin Tays, whoever is their top power play defenseman, it seems like even though they have top power play defensemen, they have trouble being as relevant in fantasy as any other team's second power play defenseman. And that's kind of where I'm at with Dobson is maybe, you know, I haven't seen too much of him. So I, I can't say that he won't have the same impact on a power play as like a, a Quinn Hughes or or something like that. But I, I just find it hard to get excited about top power play D-men from Long Island. And that's where I'm at with Dobson. I was curious if, if there's something you can say to kind of change my mind. So yeah, your concern's fully valid. The Islanders really... Don't, they don't get many power plays, and with their defense, they like bumping around a lot. Um, Trotz, just Pulak, one day, Taze the next day, Dobson, one power play, Letty the next. So, yeah, with that, fairly concerning there, but Dobson, he's a very big guy. He's a, His underlying numbers are very good, too. His puck possession is a solid. Uh, he doesn't shoot too much, but he also doesn't play too much. I would want to see him play more, so hopefully he gets... Because I could see him being their best defenseman 
in a year just because of how like highly regarded he is and how like solid he is as he play how solid of a player he is kind of like a like a little like a sleeper pick um if things like line up for him i could definitely see him cracking maybe i don't know 40 points next year but yeah yeah i think you uh, had the the mark there yeah 30 to 40 like i'm not too sure that's still pretty solid for a defenseman especially one that's just coming off his rookie season yeah yeah so with dobson i like dobson in the minors fairly well very good there where he was drafted see how that goes um yeah the islanders aren't too friendly when it comes to fantasy hockey but just like a player like dobson is always interesting to watch matt barzell going into year four Oh, exactly. Let's see yeah. <laughs> All right, Zach, if you don't mind, I want to take Charlie McAvoy because I got a couple bones to pick here. Yeah, um, I was going to say, like, it seemed like you were like, oh, well, you're going to have to talk me into this one. And I'm thinking well, you're going to have to talk him into the next one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie McAvoy never really hit a radar with me. And it's it's just because when Krug goes down, which inevitably happens every year, it's Matt Grizzlick. Yeah, it's the it top is, yeah. power play. That's my worry with Charlie McAvoy. He's got bad shots. Not bad, but, like, not uh, – he's not carrying your team. He's doing – you kind of don't notice him. And in the NHL, a defenseman that you don't notice is a good defenseman. But in fantasy, a defenseman that you don't notice shouldn't be on your team. And I guess I'm kind of talking about more shallow leagues here where uh, in an eight-team, Charlie McAvoy might not be uh, owned or anything like that. But I've never been in on Charlie McAvoy as a fantasy own much better in the NHL than he is on my fantasy team. What 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 do you have that I don't have here? What do you know that I don't know? Well, as you were saying, like I'm a Boston fan, and every time they play Grizzly on the power play, I I, I don't like it. <laughs> McAvoy is just such such a much like a, a much better player uh, than Grizzly. But yeah, as you were saying, he doesn't shoot enough to warrant being like a breakout candidate. It was more like maybe he'll do it, but. Every year he's kind of overrated. Tom, if um, you if you don't mind, I'm gonna interrupt here. I think they put Grizzlick on there because he's the same handedness as Krug. And I think it's just because it's maybe it's like a short fix that Krug's only gonna be out five, six games. So they're like, All right, we're not gonna change the whole dynamic of the power play, let's just throw Grizzlick in there. If Krug does go, they're gonna have to redo the whole dynamic. And I think in that situation, McAvoy could be the top power play and it could have more of an effect on him there. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that kind of just broke into my head. That's a very good point. Yeah, I actually didn't think of that, how the, uh, the handedness would work there. So Grizzly, he, he, when he takes over for Krug, it's not too bad. They still have one of the best power plays in the league. They just end up scoring just because of how good they are. So the thing is, if McAvoy can like can be given the opportunity, which I hope he can because, again, he's entering his fourth year. So uh, maybe that might there you uh, go. <laughs> Might impact something, but again, yeah, he's very solid defenseman. Uh, he is very overrated in fantasy. He was just one player like I try and look at if like the opportunity changed for him next year if Krug was out of the question. When I, I saw some guy hold McAvoy the whole year in my league, and I was just like wondering why. Like he 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 didn't want to trade him for anything like unmovable. <laughs> I'm not sure where why he got that idea, but. Yeah, he's not hasn't been he's been around 30 points per year and I guess very overrated when it comes to uh fantasy. But I think a lot of that NHL hype kind of carries over into fantasy where you know a player is so good on the ice that you kind of convince yourself that they're going to be good for you in fantasy and mm-hmm. 
And I think McAvoy's one of those players. Yeah, I guess I'm falling into that trap right now. But <laughs> I wouldn't really want to target him because his price is probably going to be really high next year. I could definitely see him being a potential breakout player. I think if Krug walks, that McAvoy kind of sneaks in into like a sleeper territory. Yeah. Just like a like a quiet sleeper, but I think people are going to catch on pretty quick. Krug stays. I, I just erase him from the list. I, I don't want anything <laughs> to do with him next year. All right, All right Tom. Boys, was, well, that was a good one. Yeah, buddy. Um, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for hanging out, man. Uh, anytime talking hockey is a lot of fun. Caught a significant buzz during this one. So <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate that too, man. Thanks for hopping in. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tom. So, so one more time, let everybody know, like, do you have anything cooking for r slash fantasy hockey right now? So um, I have not written too much for r slash fantasy hockey lately, but I was reached out to uh, a, the, um, the creator of hashtag basketball. Mm. Um, he makes fantasy basketball tools and he wanted to um, increase his, uh, I guess, his, his output of fantasy resources. So he's working on a fantasy hockey website just called hashtag hockey so uh he asked me to help do some writing there make like a quick guide on how like fantasy hockey works like strategies to look at helping with some rankings and stuff so i'm very Uh excited to do that so probably coming out he's still working on uh um, starting the website develop he has most of it developed he's just ready to launch it probably around uh, mid-summer i'll start writing some stuff there so uh, you can catch it at hashtag hockey.com i'm always on r slash fantasy hockey reach me there Uh, hopefully i'll write some more stuff there i've been missing hockey just as much as anyone else be excited to uh big black hole in our hearts right now yeah exactly yeah very excited to be on the show today thank you guys thanks thanks for coming man yeah thank you man it was a pleasure man have a good night all right you too (laughs) that was cool well, guys, that was Tom Nasico, and you guys can find him most often at r slash fantasy hockey on Reddit. His username is Tom's Tom's, and I know um, we're kind of like very close to the chest with our usernames in Reddit, but um, kind of sorry for outing you if that's the that's the case. But the stuff he puts out on r slash fantasy hockey is always a great read. You're going to learn something. Uh, you're going to be interested. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah, big thanks to him. And I think we're going to probably, we're going to try and put out a Patreon episode this week, I'm hoping. But I'm thinking we're going to take like the rest of the week off. I don't know about you, but maybe like Wednesday or Thursday, we could put out a patron episode. Yeah, um, be down. So guys, we will talk to you next time. I think next week we got Fancy Stats 101. We are going to be digging oh, into geez. all this. <laughs> we're going to be digging in to all of the fancy stats and how they translate to fantasy hockey. Uh, maybe I can sell Zach on some of these advanced stats. Why they're so important. Stay tuned. I think we got we got Charlie O'Connor coming on the show. Big fan of his back from uh, the Broad Street Hockey podcast days. And he's a writer for The Athletic. He covers the Philadelphia Flyers. Huge on advanced analytics. And he's always fun to watch. So, um, well, fun to listen to. But, yeah. And then we're going to have uh, Talking Hockey coming on next week, too, to talk some advanced stats. It's going to be a lot of good fun. So, catch you then, guys. And thanks for listening. We love you. Love you.